If you have your Bibles with you, if you could take this time to turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And I know a lot of times I have found myself trying to cover some pretty huge portions of Scripture while I'm here in my once a month time. Um, but today I, I felt that it would be behoove us to kind of focus in a little bit more on a little shorter passage of Scripture. So we're just going to cover the first 10 verses of uh, Luke chapter 19 because there's, a, there's a, an excellent divide in one specific story that I want to cover. And what, what's interesting I find about this story is a lot of times what is one of the biggest um, arguments or one of the biggest interesting discussions that people have in the Protestant denominations. I don't know about you, but one of the most interesting discussions I hear in these Protestant denominations, um, the brethren included, is about the argument over predestination and the free will of man. Of course, we know that the, the free will of man um, has its limits, but we know that that free will ended and yet landed them in trouble in the Garden of Eden. It didn't get them anywhere positive. And then we have verses in the New Testament that talk about before the foundations of the world, I was chosen. Peter says we were chosen before the foundations of the world. So how do we reconcile those two uh, doctrinal statements? I believe that they both coexist and I believe this story that we're about to unfold today actually is a very good case for free will and election working together hand in hand to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 19 together. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house." And he made haste, and came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we pray that we would learn the lessons that Zacchaeus has to share with us and that you would um, be here with us. We thank you for this book of Luke. We talked 
earlier this morning about how things uh, needed to be written down and that they were verified to be true. And certainly that is the way that Luke writes his books. In the beginning of both uh, Luke and Acts, he lays down uh, the fact that he wrote uh, down these things to verify the truth of them and to give us the details we needed to know about you, Father, and about your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And we just pray that you would open your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're giving uh, notes, I just titled this sermon, very simply, Jesus Visits Zacchaeus. And the first point I want to make is that Zacchaeus fervently desired to see Jesus. Let's look again at the first four verses. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, but he could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And so what is the situation that we find ourselves in? In this first four verses, we have a situation uh, where Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, if you remember, in Joshua, why were God's people going into Jericho? They were going into Jericho to destroy it. And Rahab the harlot said, I know that your God has, has done subdued nations. I know that, that you can destroy us. And everybody in this town fears what you will do to us. And they said, for, being, uh, for, for believing God, we will save you. And of course, she became a part of the line of our Savior. So Jericho was not necessarily a friendly place to the Jews. But Jesus didn't care about appearances, and he certainly didn't care about chiefly being a friend to the Jews alone. So we know that he passed through Jericho, and as is so many times, this wasn't incidental, this was planned. This was something that um, God knew needed to happen. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, think about this for a minute. This man wasn't just a publican. He was the chief among the publicans. I have a feeling that his short stature probably made him extra competitive. He's like, I need to achieve in my personal and professional life what I was not able to achieve in my physical stature. There is a drive, even for me as a believer and as a disabled man, to constantly be pushing myself to do more than what the world thinks I'm capable of doing. For me, that's so that I can point to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and say, look, you didn't think I could do this, but God does the impossible every day, and I'm one of the examples of that. For Zacchaeus at this point, he probably was just driven by worldly ambition and 
the, the desire to achieve for achievement's sake. But somewhere along the line, he must have heard about Jesus. And something in him moved to the point where he's like, I gotta see this guy. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. Incidentally, I've heard it said that this was the first press conference uh, in, in uh, the timeline, but uh, so, and I probably could have delivered that line a little better. But anyway, he couldn't see Jesus because people were pressing um, in to see him. And we'll, we'll look at, as a cross-reference, another time when that was in a minute. But first, I just want to say, because he was little of stature. So we learn these things about him, that he was rich. So he had a worldly goods, but he was little of stature. And as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit of stature to your frame or one hair, of, one hair upon your head? Those ideas. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, for Zacchaeus, I'm pretty sure he was just like, well, if I can at least catch a glimpse of him, maybe hear some of his words, then I'll be happy. Because this guy obviously has something going for him. I better go and find out what that's all about. And so this is the situation Zacchaeus fervently desired to see Jesus, and he made it happen. It says he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and so he ran. He ran and climbed up into a sycamore tree. And keep in mind, this was a rich, elite person. Uh, he, but he desired so much to see Jesus, he's like, I'm going to run, I'm going to get up in the sycamore tree, I'll be above the crowd, and at least I can see Jesus. And uh, so he had this fervent desire to see Jesus. And I, I just want to point this out. Um, I want to use the example also of Cornelius. A lot of times people say, well, what about the people that don't know the Lord or, or have lands where, where they don't even haven't even heard of Jesus? What's God going to do with them? You know, I don't know the ultimate answer. I suppose in God's Sovereignty, there could be some there that never heard the name of Jesus by name and he chooses to save them. But this much I do know is that God provides a way for people to know the truth. Cornelius wasn't saved because he was seeking God in that pool or by that pool that day when an angel came to him. But Cornelius was saved because God saw that his heart was earnest. And so he sent Peter to Cornelius and said, this is the way for salvation. Cornelius still needed to be saved. And so God sent Peter. And I believe that if someone fervently seeks God, God will show them the way to himself, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you seek me, you will find. There's a lot of people walking around who call themselves seekers. They try out all the religions, they, they, they taste test, so to speak, but they never choose to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
You see, the Bible says that if you're a true seeker, you will find. It doesn't say you might find. It doesn't say if you're lucky, you'll find. It says you will find. So this is the situation that Zacchaeus is in. Is he fervently desires to see Jesus. And he thinks, oh, I'm just going to get a glimpse of him. And let's look at another instance where someone really needed to see Jesus. In Luke 5, verses 18 to 20. If someone can look that up and read that for me. Um, maybe stand so we can all hear it. Luke 5, 18 to 20. This is uh, another one of my favorite stories. I guess it's hard to say what your favorite Bible story is because all of the Bible is so good. But I really like this story. So let's read from Luke 5, 18 to 20. Okay, and, and the story is, okay, that these people, whenever people found out that Jesus was in a place, they would throng him. They would, they would you know, if, if, like if you're, like, to, to use a modern example, when Chick-fil-A comes to town, and, and new Chick-fil-A is open, um, they, they start partying 24 hours in advance, and they say that if you're one of the first 100 into the door, you can get free Chick-fil-A for a year. But they, they, So these are the kind of responses that Jesus would have. People would throng him. Even when he tried to get away, if they found out where he was, they would follow him to the other side of the river. Or whatever the case may be, they would follow him. So this is another situation where there's no way to get him in. He's a lame man, so how in the world are we going to do this? So they take him up to the roof, and they tear out the roof tiles. Um, now I know some... People may have worked a little bit with roofs or whatever. I don't know what these roofs were made of, but it's a pretty intensive thing to take off a roof. But these friends wanted this man to see Jesus so much that they were willing to do that. And after he sees the man's heart and he forgives his sins, then they, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then, basically, he says, so that you can see my power to forgive sin, I say to this man, rise up and walk. And this man who was lame got up and walked. And it's a great story. It's a great story. Um, and uh, I resonate with that because one day I'm going to get up and walk. One day I'm going to have a new body. One day we all are. We're not going to have heart problems or stroke problems or old people problems. We're not going to have any of that because we're all going to have perfect bodies. And what a blessing that is. But this situation is here where Zacchaeus had a fervent desire to see Jesus. And so he does what needs to be done in order to make it happen. He runs. I, I see enthusiasm in Zacchaeus. He runs to see Jesus. And so that's the part of us seeking God. Of course, if we read in Romans chapter 1, we know that no man seeks after God. So something must have been drawing Zacchaeus to that sycamore tree on that day as Jesus would pass by. And we'll see a little bit of that in our, in our second point. But first, um, 
I want to share this quote by C.S. Lewis, which says, Continue seeking God with seriousness. Unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. Unless God wanted you, you would not be wanting him. What a blessing to know that he does want us. So the second point, second part of the story, Jesus fervently desired to see Zacchaeus. As I said, Zacchaeus is probably like, if I get a glimpse of him, that will be enough. But let's continue reading in verse 5. Verses 5 to 7 of Luke 19 say, And when Jesus came to this place, he looked up, saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. You see, I believe Zacchaeus knew that with all of his riches, with all of his wealth, with all of his prestige as the chief of the publicans, he knew something was missing. What was it that Paul said? He said, I am the chief of all sinners. Well, this chief of the publicans, he probably, like I said, he was thinking, I'm just going to see Jesus, and, and hopefully I will make sense of some of those things that are going on in my life. And Jesus himself looks up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus! He calls him by name. I don't know if Zacchaeus was known in that community, and so there would be a, a human relate reason why Jesus would know his name. But I know this, God knows all of our names. Jesus knows all of us by name. He knows the heart of every man. It doesn't need to be told him what's in my heart because he knows it all together. I think it was this morning as I was driving into church, um, my brother and I were listening to a sermon on the radio and the pastor was talking about how he, God is the one person with whom we can be completely honest because he already knows it all already. There, there's no need to put up a front because it would be useless. So knowing that God knows everything helps us as believers to maintain an honesty with him. And I really liked that. And so Jesus calls Zacchaeus' name and says, I must abide at your house. Imagine Zacchaeus is like, maybe I can see him for two seconds. And Jesus says, I need to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. And it says that Zacchaeus came down joyfully and brought Jesus into his house. And the people rejoiced and were glad because Jesus was with this man that needed help. Sadly, that's not the case. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Remember what the Pharisees said to the man born blind in John chapter 9? He said, they said, Are you a sinner and dost thou teach us? They didn't realize they were sinners. That man wasn't saying he wasn't a sinner. He was saying, this man, I don't know anything about this man other than the fact that I was blind and now I can see. 
And they knew it was true, but they couldn't stand that it was true, so they cast him out of the synagogue. And Jesus, knowing that he needed a completed work, more than just a physical work, met him on the road, and he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, Show me who he is, so that I may believe on him. And he said, I who speak to you am he. And the man fell down and worshipped him. You see, that day that man didn't just receive physical healing, he received a spiritual rebirth. Every time you see a physical healing in the scriptures, it's to encourage and to promote the idea of spiritual healing. And so we have this situation where Zacchaeus fervently desired to see Jesus. So he goes to see Jesus, hoping to catch a glimpse. And Jesus fervently desires to see Zacchaeus. I want you to see this. And when Jesus came to the place, he was headed to this place. It wasn't that he just happened to pass by. When he came to the place where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to be in your house. See, there was a time in my life when God came to me and he said, I need to make my house in you. He said, I need you to know who I am. And I need you to make me a part of your life. I don't know why. And as a little kid, I would have told you that I just decided to follow Jesus because of the example of my parents, because of the example of others in my life. And that was part of it. But looking back, I know that Jesus laid hold of my life. Paul says that he wants to lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of by Christ. That's why the the motto of my ministry, speaking for him, is speaking for him who spoke for me because he spoke for me before time began. Before the foundation of the world, he spoke for me and he stood between me and hell. And he said, I am plucking you from hell and I want you to serve me and to be my vehicle through which hopefully others can experience the same rebirth. And that is why I do what I do. And my hope is that it's the same for you. Because God wants to use all of us, whether we're in the pulpit or not. We still have a responsibility to bring the truth to those around us. And so we have Zacchaeus fervently desiring to see Jesus, and Jesus fervently desiring to see Zacchaeus. Can we look at John chapter 14, verse 23? John 14, 23. Jesus is talking at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he makes a very important statement, which we're about to read. Jesus answered and said to him, Anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him 
and make our home with him. You want Jesus to be with you, to be your comforter, to be your guide? Do what he says for you to do. He says that if we do his will, we show that we love him and he will come to us and he will abide with us. What a wonderful truth that is. Charles Spurgeon says this, If you go to him, you will find him at home and on the lookout for you. He will be more glad to receive you than you will be to be received. Do you ever think about that? That God in his infinite wisdom and power, the almighty God who created the world, is more anxious to have a relationship with you than you are to have a relationship with him. We love him because he first loved us. And so what is the result of both of these individuals, Jesus and Zacchaeus, fervently desiring to see each other? The result, when people meet Jesus, they they don't stay the same. There's two choices they can make. The Pharisees chose to become more bitter and callous toward the things of God. Many of them, despite the fact that they walked around with the living God, would end up in hell. Because they chose not to believe that he was who he said he was and to take him at his word. But Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus, he experienced a dramatic change in his life. Luke 19, 8-10 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus made this decision. I I find it kind of interesting that, that he goes right into telling Jesus this without any other conversation taking place. Because I'm sure there are people that could take this passage and twist it to believe that this is promoting a good work salvation. But I can tell you this, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' heart. And he knew that Zacchaeus' heart was humble before him. And he knew that Zacchaeus' actions were an acknowledgement of who Jesus was. That the, that the giving of the resources, the restoring of the poor's money fourfold, was a result of his position before God, not a reason for it. Remember, we're dealing with a God who knows the heart of man. He doesn't have to be told it. And he says, this day is salvation come to this house. And then he says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save 
that which is lost. You see, of all the other things that Jesus did, whether it be miracles, whether it be just teaching his disciples, all those things were to lead to one specific thing. I'm seeking and saving those who are lost. Jesus said, that's my goal. That's why I'm here. Pilate said, are you a king then? He said, for this cause came I into the world. Simeon said of him when he was a baby, this man will be the or this baby will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. This baby growing up into a perfect man and walking among his fellow men with, with 12 followers and seeing 10 out of the 11 remaining after Judas die martyr's death for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a single Pharisee or former Pharisee was in that line. Paul was added later as an apostle. We know that. But he used fishermen. Simple men to deliver a simple message. Turn to him and live. Reject him and die. Those are the only choices. Zacchaeus made a choice for salvation. We don't know what happened to Zacchaeus after this. We don't read anything more about him. But one day, I'm going to see him. And I'm going to ask him <laughs> what that was like. Because... God gave him salvation that day. Because you see, that was the most important thing that Jesus came to do, is to seek and to save that which was lost. And to better understand Zacchaeus' response, I wonder if we could look at Leviticus chapter 6, 4 and 5. Leviticus 6, 4 and 5. If somebody gets there, they can just um, read it for us. And it shall be, when he sins and becomes guilty, and he shall restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by extortion, or the deposit which was entrusted to him, or the lost thing which he found, or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full, and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. So Zacchaeus was looking back to the laws of restitution in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that he says he's going to restore fourfold that which he's taken. And then whatever's left over, I'm going to give half of those goods to the poor. You see... When, when God gets a hold of someone and changes them, it's a radical change. Yes, we may still have our struggles, but a person that 
is following the Lord is a different person than they were before they were following the Lord. Think about the Apostle Peter. He, he ran when Jesus was arrested. And he trailed behind Jesus and because I'm sure he was trying to stick to his promise that I'm going to stay with you, Lord. I'll even die for you. But then what happened? Three times. Three times he said, I don't know the man. It's interesting how often I find myself praying, Lord, if, if there's ever a time when, when I'm asked to be to deny you, please give me more strength than Peter had that night. But you see, a couple chapters later, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see a different Peter. We see a Peter who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he preaches boldly the risen Christ. He said, you by wicked men, wicked hands have, have crucified the, the, the prince of life. But he rose from the dead. And in Acts chapter 3 he says, if you want to know what made this lame man whole, just know that it was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they said, don't speak in this name. And they whipped them. Which I'm sure wasn't just love taps. But then what do they do? Do they run and hide and cower in the corner? No. They ran up to the upper room and they said, Lord, thank you that we were able to suffer persecution in your name. Give us more boldness. Paul did the same thing. He lists for us in detail the trials, the physical trials that he went through for the gospel. And yet he still says, pray that I would have more boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to everyone that believeth. David Hunt said this, that the Father and Son would love sinners is beyond our comprehension, but it ought to awaken a response of love and gratitude within our hearts that will change our lives forever. The God of the universe loves sinners. And I pray that he would give me a love for those sinners as well. I'll admit sometimes I, I lapse into judgmentalism. I get angry when people want to defend places like Planned Parenthood who slaughter the unborn in vicious numbers. And I, I saw a video yesterday where this pro-life group called 68 abortion clinics and asked if they could get ultrasounds just to check the health of their baby. And you know what Planned Parenthood told them? Planned Parenthood told them, we only do ultrasounds so we can see how far along you are so we know what abortion procedure to give you. 
It's the only reason Planned Parenthood does ultrasounds. And that infuriates me. But then I remember. The reason these people do this is because they're blind. The God of this world has blinded them to the truth. And I remember stories like the story of Anthony and Cecilia Levitino, who Anthony was an abortionist for 20 years. But there was a lady who constantly loved him, brought him cookies at the abortion clinic, told him that she was praying for him, prayed for him day after day. And ironically, he and his wife could not conceive as much as they wanted a baby, they could not conceive. And so eventually they adopted. And then when their adopted daughter was about 10 years old, she was out walking and she got hit by a car. And the day she died, he said, I'm grieving the death of my daughter. And I realized that every single day I am contributing to the death of other people's daughters. And he gave up the abortion practice, and a couple months later, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. But it didn't happen because people hated on him. It happened because people like that lady loved on him. And I need to be reminded of those things, and so do we all. I hope that you have trusted Jesus Christ because that's the only way for salvation to come to you. I don't know the number, but I'm wondering if we could close with...